So we are blessed to be able to come to the Lord's Word this morning, to hear it, to know it, to be true. We are blessed that we have copies of it to carry with us, whether it is on our phones or in our hands or in our backpacks, that we have Bibles in the pews in front of us. And just a a plug, if anyone needs a Bible, please let us know. If you need a Bible here today and you don't have one, take one of the ones out of the pew because it is our desire that God's Word would be in each of our hands and not just here on Sundays, that God's Word would be in your hands daily, that you might know it and meditate on it day by day. So if you're paying attention last week, or if you were here last week, you will remember that we were encouraged in our passage to think about and to practice such good things as we can find encouraged and commanded in God's Word. And that meditating and thinking and doing such things is a great key to combating situations where our attentions and our affections might be drawn away and to things that are opposed to God. Then at the very end of our passage last week, Paul reminded his audience of this teaching that they'd received. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is great advice. This is something that each one of us should strive towards. But if you're like me, I read that and go, how? What does that look like? I am to put off my old self. What Paul had been saying to these people, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You are Gentiles, don't be like Gentiles anymore. Well, what if that's all you know? What if your sinful walk, the sinful lifestyle that we all came from at one point or another, what if that is all you know? What does it look like to put off your old self? Okay, I stop doing what I'm told not to do. Then what? Now what do I do? So in today's passage, in Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 32, We're going to get some specific examples. We get to see this exchange of passions, the exchange of selves. So I'd ask that you would turn there with me and maybe follow along as we read from Ephesians chapter 4. Like I said, we will be in verses 25 to 32. Therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's Word. And as I was looking at this passage, I realized there are as many different ways to preach this passage as there are words in this passage just about. Do I go through and preach a message on put away falsehood? Be angry and do not sin. Let the thief no longer steal. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Many have preached messages like that right from this passage, and they were right to do so. But there's something about taking all of this together that is important. And we kind of have two sections. The first one running from 25 down to uh, 29. And then the second from 31 to 32. But in that first section, we have the same formula repeated four times over. Except for the very last one, which says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Except for that one, each of these negative commands, the don't do X type commands, it's attended by two other phrases. So you have the negative command, then you have a positive command. Don't do this, instead do this. And then you have the underlying motivation for, for that command. And part of my temptation as far as wanting to maybe preach each one of these commands individually is when I looked at it at first, I didn't see an immediate correlation here. How do all of these fit together? Why did Paul write this list and put all of these commandments together? And knowing that we're coming from this renewal of the mind, the putting on a new life, how do these play in and why these ones? Lying, anger, thievery, corrupt speech, grieving the spirit. It kind of looks like a bit of a grab bag of unrelated sins. But if we read the positive commands and specifically the underlying motivations, I hope that you too as I did, start to see a pattern emerge. Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We'll hold off on that fifth command as it doesn't follow the same formula, and I think it becomes a summary of the previous four. 
But on these four, ultimately, when the sin is put off and the righteous alternative is embraced and pursued, it leads to the building up of, the care for, and the growth of the body. It should cast our minds just a few verses back to verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You'll remember that that passage was specifically talking about the gifts that we are given and our responsibility to use those gifts for the building up of the church. Well, if we are using our gifts for the building up of the church, we also have a responsibility to not also tear down the church. For us, the stripping off of the old man, the putting on of the new man, even putting to death of sin and the refusal to walk in our old lives and our old ways, this isn't a process that is primarily about us. And sometimes when we are looking at the putting off of our old selves in particular, it becomes very inward focused. Because we have to look into ourselves to know our sin that we might combat it. And so we get wrapped up in, I am doing battle against my sin, and I need to do this, and I need Jesus' help, and I, I, me, me, and we get wrapped up in this. But we are not islands. Our own sin affects the body. Our own sin is more than just our own problem. Ultimately, for us to put off these kind of things is about the building of the body in and for the glory of Christ. If we view our lives, our sanctification, our holiness as being solely about us, that becomes a great recipe for pride or legalism or self-righteousness. Or, on the other end, shame and despair. If it is about me and I manage to have success at conquering whatever my sin is, I'm doing pretty good. If it is about me and I fail at combating my sin, I'm in despair. But if it is about us as the body working together to put to death and root out every sin, both in our lives and corporately, it changes the, the, the paradigm a little bit. If I were to tell you, quit lying, stop being angry, stop stealing, stop speaking in a corrupt manner, maybe you would listen, maybe you wouldn't. You know that it comes from the Bible, so, okay, I was told not to do it, I won't do it. But if I were to add a positive alternative, things are a little more compelling. And then, if I not only give you the command, don't do this, also instead do this, and also, this is how it equates with not just you, but your corporate body to which you are a member, 
we finally start to catch the full weight of the exhortation that comes from God's Word here. Your holiness, individually, especially as it pertains to your relationships in the body, is vital to the overall health of the body. I don't think we see it in that light very often. Your holiness, individually in your own life, affects this entire church, the entire body of Christ, because the entire body of Christ is made up of individual members who are each called to be holy. Think of a community filled with lying, angry, thieving, crass-type people. Maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you've been in communities like that. Maybe that's your workplace on a day-to-day basis. But think of the, the spirit of a place like that. Just the, the culture of a place like that is somewhere where we shouldn't even want to be. And such a, a spirit and such a culture shouldn't be the absolute opposite of what a person experiences when they engage with the community of God. It's also the opposite type of community that God has commanded us to be. So why then does Paul single out these specific sinful actions? We're going to take a little closer look at each one individually and then tie them all together. And we'll do so with a particular eye to how Paul is exhorting these people of the church and their interactions with one another. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That verse there, he is quoting from Zechariah 8.16, where the Lord says to his people, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. God's people are to be marked by their honesty, especially with one another. They are to put away falsehood, but they're also to speak the truth with one another. And I want us to recognize that if we are to speak the truth with one another, that immediately takes away the opportunity for the lies of omission that we become so fond of. I'm not lying. I'm just not telling them everything. But if we are to speak the truth with one another, there's a difference. I'm not lying, but I am lying because I'm not telling the whole truth. But also we are well aware that the truth, both on a grand scale and on a micro scale, can be used as a weapon. That's why we are reminded earlier in verse 15 that we are to be speaking the truth in love, and that in doing so we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. It is not enough for us to just not lie. We must also speak the truth. But it is also not enough for us to just speak the truth. 
For as we speak the truth, we must speak it in love, for we are members of one another. Just as Christ commands during the Sermon on the Mount, they broadened and um, sharpened these commandments that he highlighted, murder, adultery, etc. Just so, Paul is sharpening some of these commands in this letter. Our honesty, particularly with one another, contributes to the building up of the body in love. And conversely, if we are dishonest with one another as brothers and sisters in the faith, we are actually tearing down the body of Christ. That sheds a much harsher light and clearer light on the importance of our own honesty and truthfulness. There is no white lie in the church. There is truth. And there is falsehood. And we are to put away all falsehood and speak the truth in love. That doesn't mean we come in and volunteer, I don't like your dress today. But it does mean that we speak the truth and we speak the truth in love. There's nothing loving about me coming in and telling someone I don't like their dress unless there is something sinful about their dress, at which point... I should probably deal with them privately or probably more likely have my wife deal with them privately. The next command that Paul gives is this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. And this one has been the subject of much speculation. Doesn't the Bible say to refrain from anger and forsake wrath? Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. Psalm 37, 8. Or what about James 1? Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or even Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We are to be slow to anger. We are to refrain from anger. We will be judged for our anger with our brothers. Then how can we be angry and not sin? Remember, we are created in the image of God. We are called to imitate Christ. And yet God, if you... Read your Bibles and know your Bibles. You know that God is often angry against sin. Jesus was often angry with the Pharisees. In Mark 3, Jesus looks around, and the Bible says Jesus looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. If we are made in God's image, and we are to be like him, we are to be like Christ, then anger... Righteous anger will be a part of our experience. The difference being that God's anger is perfect and just and holy and totally free from sin. And that's why his anger and our anger have different parameters. 
God's anger can righteously burn against generations. God's anger, we are told, can and will burn for eternity against those who have refused him, against Satan and all his minions and all who have followed them. God's anger is totally pure and just and holy and right. Our anger, even our righteous anger, where we are upset by something righteously, is to be put to bed with the setting sun. And that setting sun phrase has been no end of difficulties for newlyweds everywhere. Because somewhere in premarital counseling or whatever it might be, you heard, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then at 1 o'clock in the morning, someone makes a comment, and then someone's angry, and they go, we have to deal with this before we go to bed. Otherwise, we are committing sin. And then they're fighting at 2 a.m., and nobody is at their best at 2 a.m. But the spirit of this command is that we do not allow our anger to grow roots. That it does not fester and it does not drive us deeper into our own fury. As it is possible, we put any righteous anger to bed with the sun. But should you not be able to reconcile the difficulty because it is 2 a.m. and no one's making righteous judgments anymore or... Maybe you are separated by distance and someone sends a text message that is, causes you a righteous anger. Whatever the situation, until you can achieve some form of reconciliation with that person, and as incredibly difficult as this may be, we leave our frustration and our anger in the hands of the Lord so they will not grow deeper, and take a new root of their own. In my own life, one of the things that's been particularly helpful on this count is Sherry and I end the day every day in prayer just before we close our eyes and go to sleep. And even when we're fighting, even when we're upset with one another, And it is really hard to come to the Lord in prayer while you are still actively angry with one another. So sometimes you just have to say, okay, we need to go to bed. Let's pray. And we take that anger and we leave it in God's hands. And oftentimes we know that there are right reasons to be frustrated with one another and right reasons to continue working through things, but we leave those things in God's care for the night, and we say, right now, let's come to God in prayer. As Paul says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We will be righteously angry sometimes. We will be angry at sin. We will be angry at those who commit and condone sinful acts. 
We will be angry on behalf of others who are victimized by sinful acts. I would challenge you to find a father who wouldn't be angry and righteously so when their child is sinned against. But even in these situations, we may be angry. But we must ultimately and we must quickly place these things in God's hands. For if we do not, then Paul says that we give opportunity to the devil. Other translations say give a foothold to the devil. I think this one fits well in a church context because in the church, particularly um, when it comes to things of a spiritual nature, we can get pretty passionate about what we believe. We can get pretty passionate about what we think is going to happen in the end times. We can get pretty passionate about what we interpret from Scripture. And as we can see, that doesn't always agree with each other. And it causes a frustration. Be like, no, this is what the Bible says. And the person's, other person says, no, this is what the Bible says. And we butt heads. We get frustrated. And sometimes, for even less sanctified reasons, we become angry. For who is better at getting under our skin than family? There's nobody better at getting under your skin than your family. But too often, we've also allowed these family bonds to even encourage us to harbor bitterness and anger towards our brothers and sisters. Rather than rock the boat and have it out and come to some kind of reconciliation, even if that reconciliation is, okay, we agree to disagree. But rather than doing the hard work of having those conversations, we determine to just keep our mouth shut we allow the sun to go down on our anger and we wake up the next, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe that's what he thinks. I can't believe she said that. And as we do so, we allow the devil to drive a wedge of division between us and our brother and our sister and ultimately between us and the Lord. We are not going to agree with one another at all times. And that's okay. We are going to be angry with one another for we are imperfect people. We have imperfect beliefs when it comes to God. We have imperfect and sinful lifestyles that we have to go, okay, I am angry because this person has actually wronged me within the church. But how can we claim to have stripped off our old selves and put on the new if we're engaging in active unforgiveness, active anger towards our brothers and sisters that we hold on to and we harbor. Proverbs talks us about nursing our anger, sitting there just perseverating on it, going like days and weeks and months of, I don't like that person anymore because of the one thing that we haven't dealt with six months ago. But if we're nursing those kind of things, We've all been forgiven a debt that is far beyond our ability to pay. How then can we not forgive as we have been forgiven? 
Thirdly, let the thief no longer break in and steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This one is fairly straightforward, and the comments will be fairly short on it, but thievery stems from a basic disrespect for your fellow man, from a covetous greed for personal gain, from an unwillingness to work and acquire things by the sweat of your own brow. And the alternative command and the attending motivation gives us some clarity on this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Rather than stealing, they are to put off laziness and covetousness in favor of diligence and charity. We recognize that Paul is particularly focused on the community of the saints. And think of the benefits to the body when one who is a thief with a heart that is covetous and lazy when one who is that way and has been that way instead puts on the spirit in the new man and is now working diligently and providing for those who are in need. This is much more than just don't steal each other's stuff. I have enough toddlers that I say don't steal each other's toy I don't know how many times in a day but don't steal each other's toys, don't come and steal from my shop, is not the the be-all and end-all here. Rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Theft can encompass a whole lot more than just taking someone's things. It can be any manner of illicit gain getting paid for work that you didn't do, getting paid for work that other people did and you're claiming it as your own. There are a million ways to do this, but the positive command here gives us some framework to kind of guard that in, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Fourth, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that, we, that it may give grace to those who hear. We look at the previous ones, lying and anger and theft, and those are all incredibly serious. But in my experience, there are a few things that will so quickly damage a fellowship as what our passage calls corrupting talk. The word for that corrupting talk is the same one that would have been used for rotting fish or spoiled produce. That kind of talk and language coming out of a person, rotten and doing the absolute opposite of building one another up. And the immediate image that comes to mind here is the crude joking and the profanities that have become the bread and butter of our entire society and particularly the entertainment industry. We can't watch a movie or a TV show or a radio program 
without hearing these kind of things. We can't go to the grocery store without hearing corrupt talk. Particularly if you work in a secular workplace, that is going to be all around you. But it's more than just crude joking. It's more than just profanity. This can encompass all talk that does not edify those who are around us. Slander, gossip, boasting, being overly and unrighteously critical. All of these qualify under this banner. The tongue is given an incredible amount of attention throughout Scripture. And a lot of it is negative. I want to highlight two of those. James 3 How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account For every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The speech of a person, believers in particular, is so indicative of the condition of their heart. And as such, a sanctified heart, made holy by the gift of God and the putting on of the new life, should not issue forth with talk of any kind like this. And yet oftentimes, sins of the tongue have become some of the most tolerated sins in the church. We allow for boasting and slander and gossip and even the occasional profanity, and we bring them under the guise of some sort of Christianese-type language. We try to dress them up. We try to make them seem okay. But all of these have the same net result. That if we are speaking in such a way, if we are allowing this corrupt, rotting filth of talk come out of our mouths, we are tearing down the body of Christ rather than building it up. We cannot underestimate the power and the danger of using our tongues wrongly particularly in the body of Christ. But all of these commandments that we've looked at, they all lead us to this one place, this final command, where the pattern shifts, and all of it leads to this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There is no positive command here. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then it goes in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Remember that Paul is writing to these saints and encouraging them in their walk of faith. Many of them would have grown up with little to no knowledge of Yahweh and his commands and his ways. Why would such relatively minor infractions such as lying and anger and stealing and corrupt talk warrant such a command like this from Paul? Because as members of this new body, Gentiles become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. These Gentiles, these Gentiles become no longer Gentiles. Their actions now affect more than just themselves. To live in such a way, to speak in such a way, to continue in such a way not only wounds the sinner, but also wounds the church. And to wound the church is to grieve the Spirit of God. Remember the motivation behind the admonishment against anger? That they would give no opportunity to the devil. Could you imagine giving the devil opportunity to work in the church of God? The very body of Christ? It is deadly serious how we treat one another in the body as brothers and sisters. That commandment that Christ gave us, the new commandment that we celebrate on Monday, Thursday, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Anything that would be contrary to this is to be utterly put aside, put off amongst God's people. As we put on the new man and are welcomed into this body of faith, we need to look at our own hearts, our own lives, our own actions, and continue not just when we first come in, but every day from there on. We need to look at our own lives and say, am I a part of this body of faith as a healthy contributing member of this body of faith? Or am I becoming cancer in this body of faith? Still a part of that body, but toxic to it. We cannot be toxic to our brothers and sisters. We need to be absolutely certain that the way we act towards one another is right and honorable and true. For to fail to do so, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Rather than lying and anger and stealing and corrupt talk, rather than bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice, instead of these things, practice truthfulness, reconciliation, diligence, charity, constructive talk, kindness, tender-heartedness and forgiveness as God in Christ forgave you. This list this morning is much more than just a representative list of sins and vices to turn from and virtues to pursue. And we could go and do an individual message on each one of these vices and each one of these virtues. But it's more than just a list of vices and virtues. This is part of Paul's 
instruction on the building up of the church and the protection of the church. We are grafted in. We are adopted as children of God. This is by the miraculous work done by God, planned before all the ages. We're given a new heart, a new man, to live in the place of the old one, laying aside and putting off our old selves. And one element of this putting off of the old man is to become a part of a new body, the church. And recognize just the tiny little phrase right at the end of our passage here. As God in Christ forgave you. All of this comes down. All of our interaction with one another, all of the putting off and putting on, all of the old man come new man, all of that comes down to the fact that we are totally new because God in Christ has forgiven us. I cannot lie to my brothers or sisters because I have had to come to Christ and Christ had to die that I might be forgiven of my own lying, my own lack of truthfulness. I cannot sit there and be angry and hold on to and let anger fester in my heart for my brothers or sisters. Because God in Christ has forgiven me for that and I can't hold on to it or I will not be forgiven. I cannot steal from my brothers or sisters. I cannot talk corruptly and tear down my brothers or sisters. For God has forgiven me in Christ and God has forgiven them in Christ. We are to lay aside our old selves, lay aside our pettiness, lay aside our sin, and to pursue instead the things of God, not only for our own good, but for God's glory and for the building up of the church. This whole passage leaves us with this overwhelming sense that your holiness is not only about you. Your pursuit of what God has commanded is not only about you. The way you live and the way you act affects the entire body of Christ. And that is a good thing because at first it might just be overwhelming. Going, my sin affects everybody else and I suck. And just beat yourself up and tear yourself up over it. But because your own failures and your own sin don't affect just you also means that you are not alone in dealing with it. You have an entire body of believers committed not only to love you and care for you, but also to help you and give you a leg up and everything we can do to care for one another that we might no longer sin. So we need to be truthful with one another. We need to let our brothers and sisters see where we have sinned that we might be reconciled to God and we might have people able to help us in our sin. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this morning 
that you would be exhorted to pursue the newness of life that comes with all of those virtues that we are given in this passage. The putting on of the new man. And that by God's Spirit and through His Word, you might be able to put off the old man by the aid and assistance of your Lord and your brothers and sisters in the church. You might be able to see your sinful man wasting away as your new man grows in strength and power. And that we might care for God's people, each one of us, as he has first cared for us. Will you join with me in prayer? Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that this has not been our pattern. We confess that we have not perfectly put away falsehood. We confess our anger. We confess that we have stolen from one another. We confess that we have spoken corruptly, and we know that we have grieved your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we confess those things, we repent of those things, and we ask that you would forgive us. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would reconcile us to one another and reconcile us to yourself. That instead of falsehood, we would speak truth. That instead of anger, we would put our anger away. Instead of thievery, we would labor and care for one another and show one another charity and diligence. Instead of speaking in a corrupt manner, we would build one another up with our words that we might give grace to those who hear our speech. And that we would not grieve your Holy Spirit, but that we might build up your body as we pursue the things that you have given us, as we use the gifts that you've given us. And Lord, may not a single one of us feel alone in our pursuit of righteousness. And not a single one of us feel alone in the fact that we are still doing battle with the old man. But may we help one another. May we do battle together as brothers and sisters in the faith and take up arms together against our old selves. Caring for one another, bearing one another up in prayer, holding one another accountable, exhorting one another as we see sin, and comforting one another, bringing one another peace. And Lord, may we do all of this not for our own glory, not for the ease of living in a peaceful and happy community. But let us do all of these things for we know that you have sent your son Jesus Christ, that he would die and be raised back to life and glorified, and he might take in himself all of the sins of his people, 
paying the price of them. And that he has placed in our own hearts and our own lives a new man, a new heart of flesh instead of the heart of stone. Lord, may we be a community that in every way embodies and shows what it means to love one another as you have first loved us. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this morning, I say again with Paul, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.